Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, humans. It's your host, Corey, back with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. Today, I want to try to outline some of the things that might come up for you once you start doing the work of taking back your life, breaking bad habits, becoming healthier. Anytime we try to make changes in our life, stuff is going to come up. Change is terrifying. It has a wonderful way of triggering us and shaking all of the skeletons out of the closet. And as a rule, people just don't like change. They resist it, they get tense, they react. And these reactions, resistance, tension could manifest in our minds or in our relationships or in our bodies. And our only job is to identify when it's happening and work to relax into it more and more with practice. So for that reason, I hope everyone is continuing with their awareness practice, the awareness meditation we talked about before in episode two, because awareness is key to recognizing when we're resisting when we're reacting, when we're tensing up. This week and next week, I'm going to explore what might be happening in your mind and in your emotions when you're trying to make changes in your life, what this tensing up might look like in our mental landscapes. And then next week, I'll talk about what might be happening in your relationships when you try to make changes. But basically, when we try to heal ourselves, especially if we're trying to break bad habits or end destructive patterns, it's normal to encounter this resistance. All kinds of emotions can come up. Often when we make a change, we feel like we're dying. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it's true. And I'm not just talking about habits you're probably thinking of, like quitting smoking, quitting drinking, quitting drugs. Sugar, gosh, I could kill someone whenever I'm trying to give up sugar. Addictions of any kind, really. It's accepted that these habits are difficult to break. And so we're told we need a plan, we need lots of support, a lot of patience and willingness to try and fail and try again until something sticks. But not many people talk about how hard it is to break mental habits. And that's our addiction to maladaptive strategies. If you don't know what I mean by maladaptive, mal being bad, adaptive meaning the things we do to survive. So if you grew up in an abusive home, if you grew up with an alcoholic or a drug addict, or you were in a bad relationship, Any situation, really, where you were in it, but you couldn't get out of it right away, for whatever reason, then the chances are really high that you developed at least one, if not a hundred, of these maladaptive coping strategies in order to survive your situation. Financial hardship, a death or a loss, violence, neglect, emotional invalidation, pretty much any of the traumas listed on the CDC's Adverse Childhood Experiences questionnaire, then you've probably got one or more of these maladaptive coping strategies. These coping strategies could have manifested as substance abuse or rumination, which is the tendency to focus on the negative, hypervigilance, always scanning your environment for danger, making it impossible to relax, becoming emotionally numb or shutting down in order to give yourself relief, self-harm, which can be either physical like cutting, 
or it can be emotional, such as tearing yourself down or blaming yourself for everything. Some of my personal favorites are binge eating, which I've already talked about, anxiety, avoidance. Sometimes I'll avoid people or places or just feelings. <laughs> um, I'll try to escape rather than handle the situation directly. Other people might be dealing with guilt or procrastination. There's also sex or sex addictions as a way to distract yourself from pain. Really, any or all of these things could be the result of you trying not to feel whatever it is you're feeling. Because most of the time, what it is is we can't physically escape our situation, and so we make up all these ways to escape mentally and emotionally, and hence maladaptive coping strategies are born. But maladaptive coping strategies are something you cobble together on a battlefield. They're just meant to hold you over until you can get the hell out of there. But the problem is, is that most of us hold on to our strategies. We end up using them for months or years and decades, long enough that they become habitual or second nature. And then those strategies that were meant to keep us safe becomes what keeps us sick. But we don't want to let them go because we're used to them. They make us feel safe. They make us feel like we're in control. And we don't know what will happen if we try to do something else. And it doesn't matter that these strategies don't actually help us, that they're increasing our stress, depression, self-hatred, anxiety, keeping us stuck in our trauma cycles. It's just something that we cling to because we're used to it. When we start to take our lives back, our health and our well-being back, basically we're saying we don't need these strategies anymore. We're ready to replace these habits with healthier, more sustainable skills. And it's important to note that we cannot really tackle maladaptive strategies until we have the resources to do so. So if you're still in a bad situation, if you're still in survival mode, it's going to feel impossible to replace these strategies with anything else. So don't worry about this. If you're still in like a domestic violence situation or, you know, you're struggling with an unsafe environment, deal with that first and then come back to this when you have a few more resources when you've had some time to work on your pillars, when you're starting to build more self-care into your routine and your relationship with yourself is improving, when you've got a bit of a basis to support you, now you're ready to clear out some of these cobwebs. So what does it look like when we start to tear down these maladaptive strategies? What does it look like in practice? And of course, I will offer up my own issues as examples. Me, personally, I have some maladaptive strategies around anger. I have a very fear-based reaction to people's anger. I want people to like me. I prefer that people enjoy being around me. I don't like it when someone is mad at me. It's a terrible feeling. It's like one of the worst feelings in the world. But as you know, anger is completely natural. It happens. And even in a good marriage or a good friendship, sometimes people get mad at each other. And it doesn't mean that they don't love you or care about you or that you shouldn't be together with that person or you shouldn't be friends. But for a long time, that's exactly what it meant to me. When Kim would get mad at me for something, I would just completely fall apart. And again, I want to be clear here that I am not talking about an abusive situation where one person uses their anger as a weapon to hurt someone else. I'm just talking about natural, healthy anger that comes up from time to time when any two people try to exist in the same space. I'm talking about what happens once you get out of a bad situation, and now you're in a much better place, but because of your conditioning and your experiences, you still see danger everywhere, even when it's not present. So this happens to me sometimes in my relationship with Kim still to this day, because she's my closest, most intimate relationship. So that's where a lot of my issues play out. 
But lucky for me, my wife Kim is a very loving, affectionate person. She would never tell me I'm a terrible person or call my self-worth into question. But she does get mad at me for things sometimes. So for example, she's kind of a hoarder, just like a little bit, like a level one hoarder. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm super sensitive about having a lot of stuff around me. So if there's too many items in my space, I start to get anxious and I'll go on this sort of purging binge, start throwing out things I don't think we need. And sometimes an innocent pair of shoes or some clothes or a book or a random, in my opinion, random ceramic figurine of a woman churning butter, uh, for example, an oddly specific example, it'll get tossed out. And when she goes to get it and it's gone, she'll be so mad right? It'll be this thing that she wanted and now it's gone. And in this case, her anger is a normal reaction. And if someone throws away something you wanted to keep and you go to look for it and it's not there, it's not bizarre or uncalled for for you to get mad. It's not like she, you know, throws things or hits me or anything crazy. It's just that I have such an aversion to anger that when she gets mad at me, I completely fall apart. I might look perfectly fine and unaffected sitting there on the couch listening to her rant, but inside, I am dying. And I also really struggled for a long time with her raising her voice. So she's Filipino. And I don't know if you've ever met a Filipino or if you've got Filipinos in your life, but she's really loud just as a person. Sometimes when she's talking, she gets very impassioned and she's yelling and she's not yelling at me. Like we're not fighting. She's not saying anything to me. But when she raises her voice, I have a visceral physical reaction to that as if she's mad at me. And so because I interpret these situations differently, especially earlier in our relationship, whenever Kim would get mad at me, I would be like, well, I guess we're, we're going to break up now. The marriage is over. It's clear she does not love me and she doesn't want to be with me anymore. And I should just pack up the dog and go. And I'll start Googling like how much is a divorce attorney and costs of Airbnbs in a city on the other side of the country because I want to run away. I want to escape her anger. I don't want to give her the chance to reject me or hurt me. And how do I keep her from rejecting me? Well, I push her away first. Of course, that is the natural reaction there, right? No, that is my maladaptive strategy. And in my mind, you know, everything is over. But in her mind, she's mad, yeah, that the pair of shoes or the t-shirt is gone. But she's not that upset. Like, she's not going to leave me over this. So our reactions and our expectations of what this means and what the situation is, it's very different. That's where I'm starting, right? That's how my maladaptive strategy sort of begins, what it looks like. And when I begin to see this pattern and I try to put a stop to it, it's not uncommon for another pattern to emerge in its place. So I recognize that in fights, I try to run away. I try to push away first so I don't get rejected. And I recognize that and I put a stop to it. I wean myself off of it by refraining from doing it. But then another pattern will rise up and replace it. Deal with one thing and something else surfaces to take its place. And you just have to keep going until you get to the very bottom. So in this next level of Corey's fear of anger, when she gets mad at me, I'll start to feel like she's punishing me. If she goes up to her office and closes the door instead of wanting to hug it out with me, it's because she wants to hurt my feelings. It's because she's using anger to punish me as a tactic like my dad did. But that's not Kim. Kim would never do that. But that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm feeling. That's what I think is happening. Whenever Kim walks away or she doesn't talk to me, I feel like 
I'm back in front of my father watching him withhold his love from me in order to control my behavior or manipulate my responses and reactions because my father used his anger to punish me. He would deliberately reject me and withhold his love to get what he wanted, but that's not what Kim is doing. She is just experiencing a temporary emotion because I threw out her crusty old flats. You know, it's it's not at all the same. And now she's going to her room because she doesn't want to say anything that she's going to regret over a pair of shoes or a t-shirt that already had two holes in it, right? Her parents were not like mine, so she didn't look at this argument as some kind of indication that we were horribly matched or that things were not only bad, but they were going to be bad forever. She doesn't have to contend with any of these thought spirals that I have when I'm confronted with someone else's anger. But meanwhile, I'm downstairs, I'm shaking, I'm seething, I'm telling myself, oh my god, she doesn't love me, she doesn't like me, I'm a bad person, I'm not lovable. And that's blame. That's another maladaptive strategy that my father modeled for me often. So blaming myself, that's a new maladaptive strategy. So I identify it. I refrain from doing it. I recognize that because I hate that feeling of not being liked, not being lovable, because it feels like rejection and unworthiness, all I want to do is is make it go away. But that's not necessarily helpful at the time. So I stop blaming myself, and then what happens? Here comes a third maladaptive strategy that's rising up to the situation, which is because I hate these feelings, I immediately want to make up with someone. I want to make everything okay right away. I need to make up immediately. It's absolutely imperative that things be resolved, preferably yesterday, even before the fight took place. I want to hug it out. I want to kiss or some sort of physical reassurance. And let me tell you, I don't know if you've ever tried to force an angry person to cuddle with you, but no one enjoys it. They can't really deliver (laughs) a convincing performance, so you're not satisfied. And at this point, maybe I'll start crying because I don't know what else to do, but it's just, it quickly devolves into a whole mess. And the situation is nuts, and the only reason it's nuts is because I wasn't taught what to do with anger. I have never encountered anger that wasn't also abusive, that the people that were yelling at you were saying horrible things. They were deliberately trying to cut you down or gaslight you or hurt you. I've never had someone in my life model what healthy anger is, how you express it so it doesn't hurt yourself or someone else. So I took on all of these maladaptive strategies of trying to people please or quickly make up or repress my anger or push it down or not say something until I explode and And these aren't helpful, and now things are so different. There are no more abusers in my life. And I want to be comfortable with my feelings and the feelings of other people, so I have to replace these maladaptive strategies with healthy ones. But the way to do that is to undo what I was taught. So that means that if we rewind the tape a bit, scrub it back to the moment where I threw out, let's pick something new, a wooden rooster from the Philippines. And Kim is mad, and she starts yelling, and she realizes she's getting heated, so she stomps off, goes to her room, shuts the door, and doesn't talk to me for six hours. So here's Corey with all of her feelings, all of her reactions to anger, all of the bad stuff that comes up, and all of the maladaptive strategies at the ready, ready to rush in and try to fill this space. What do I do instead? If I'm not going to do the maladaptive thing, What do I do? Well, one option is to do nothing. Don't chase after her. Don't force her to talk it out, which she hates. 
Don't make her hug me and tell me she still loves me. Don't lay on the floor in an existential heap telling myself that I'm a worthless, unlovable person. Don't spiral. Definitely don't Google week-long cabins of the woods that accept dogs. Just stay with the feeling that I'm having. Even though I feel like I'm dying, even though I'm burning up inside, just sit with it. Just feel everything that's coming up for me. Pima Chodron who I've mentioned before, she's that Buddhist nun that I like her books. I I like what she says about working with your emotions and your mind. She calls this sort of sitting in the fire, this really uncomfortable moment with your feelings. She calls this burning up karmic seeds. So there are these bad habits and things that we've done for so long. And when we stop doing them, you know, we feel like we are on fire. But if we sit with it, if we burn up these seeds what happens is it goes away. You know, it gets weaker and weaker. Every time we do it, the feelings get less and less strong because we're sitting here and we realize we're not dying. We're just uncomfortable. And so the the body and the mind starts to relax. It starts to accept that our worst fears aren't going to happen just because we're sitting present with these feelings for a while. So sitting with the difficult situation until the turmoil passes I've also heard this called being like a log. I think that's also from Pima, or maybe she got it from someone else. But to be like a log, you're going to imagine one of those old mossy logs in the woods that have been there for God knows how long, all the bugs living in it and stuff. You just don't spin, you don't spiral, you don't build it up in your mind, you don't replay the argument, you don't obsess. You just be like that mossy log. You just rest as much as you can in that space. So that's one option, the doing nothing. Another option would be to do something productive, something that's a healthy strategy, not a maladaptive strategy. One healthy strategy would be to do a Tonglin meditation for all of those feelings of unworthiness, of anger, of fear, whatever's coming up for me, whatever I feel like is eating me alive at that moment. Start breathing with that, experiencing that. I could do a visualization of little Cory, who's terrified of her father's anger and rejection. I can sit with her and tell her that that's not what anger means, that it's safe, that I love her, I could hold her or rock her as long as I need to. Or I could try journaling, or I could go for a walk. I could watch a funny movie to try to shift my mood. I could book a session or 10 sessions with a good cognitive behavioral therapist. Um, because they're really great at identifying maladaptive strategies, what sets them off, why we fall back on them. And maybe me and this therapist can explore options for unlearning my reactions to anger and what behaviors I might be doing that makes it harder for me and my options for replacing them. So either way, I can just try to sit and just be calm and rest in the moment. Or I can, instead of doing something maladaptive, I can do something positive, something helpful, something that pulls me in the direction of health rather than sickness. Me personally, mostly I just try to sit with the feelings because at this point I know that the more I do that, the smaller they get. So the more that I become comfortable sitting with Kim's anger, The less reactive I am to it, the next time it comes up, the less I'm likely to overreact to her situation. So for me, sitting with it is good. But there are some times when I just, I cannot. And so a walk is a better option, you know, or drawing or something else. So mostly I just sit with the feelings. I sit with them and I try to remind myself that I don't have to do the things that I've always done in these situations. I don't have to reach for the maladaptive strategy. My life is very different now. 
Like I said, there are no abusers. I am much stronger. I have more options. And just because I learned how to do this in the past, it doesn't mean that I have to do it now or next time or ever again. Life is changing all the time, and it's perfectly fine if I change with it. So, in summary, if you start making changes in your life and it feels like you're losing your mind, you probably are. When we try to change old habits, bad habits, a lot of things come up. Things we didn't realize were problems. All the stuff that had been buried that we had overlooked and ignored for a long time. Heightened neurosis when you're getting better is totally normal. It's a part of the process. And it's a good thing because it gives you a chance to see and recognize and unlearn all of the bad habits that have carried you this far and to replace them with better strategies or just learning how to relax into your life more and more, to be present with yourself more and more, no matter what comes up or happens or surprises you. It's a chance to grow and to get stronger and to get healthier. So let the things that are meant to fall apart, fall apart. You're not going to miss them when they're gone, I promise. So that's it for this week. As always, I hope you found something helpful, and I want to thank you so much for listening. And next week, I'll be back to talk about anxiety and what it's trying to tell you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.